in the passage that we began with earlier, the Gospel of John, you know, there's that one, just that one little sentence, and it says, you know, as, as they encountered Jesus, resurrected, it says, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. And I've always thought how understated that statement is. They, they, you know, just, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. They, they were glad indeed. They were, they were elated. But, you know, for them, even at that moment, things hadn't really sunk in. It, it was all, I think, you know, we use the, the word surreal about things. It, and I'm sure that that's exactly uh, the right word for their experience. It was so surreal. Did we, did it, didn't we see him die? Did it, we, he was put in the tomb and the, the tomb was sealed and the guards were placed there. And, and how, how could this be? It was all so surreal. The resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. In other words, everything hinges on the resurrection. So if the resurrection really didn't happen, then there is no, no basis for uh, what we know as Christianity. There, and not only is there no basis for what we know as Christianity, but there really is no basis for hope. I mean, just take one, not even a minute, take you know, 10 seconds and just think for a second, apart from the hope of the gospel, what possible hope could we have? If we just extracted the gospel from the world, if we extracted this message out, this message did not exist, what kind of hope would there be? So, so everything really does hinge on the truth of the resurrection. The apostles certainly believed that the resurrection happened. Paul would write to the Corinthians at a later date, and he said this, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So the, the resurrection was so um, essential for the message that if it didn't happen, uh, Paul said, we really have no basis for belief. We really have um, no foundation for, for faith. He went on and he said, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. 
And I love this. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And so for these men and these women, the resurrection really happened. But even in that day, just like today, there are those who uh, question the validity of the resurrection. There, there are those who deny. I saw, uh, I, I saw something on uh, social media last night. There's a, an atheist named Lawrence Krauss, and he uh, was sort of gloating in the fact that today is April 1st, April Fool's Day. He thought it was so significant that um, Easter happened to fall on this day. So for him, the whole thing is just a hoax. But for people like that, I want to just say, well, okay, then just give us some hope. Would you come, come on, just lay out your beautiful uh, picture of reality in the world. So just like it was back then, so today, there are those who deny the resurrection of Jesus. So here's the question. How do we know this really happened? I mean, we are... 2,000 years removed, at least, from this event. So how do we know this happened? Well, we know this happened the same way we know anything in the past happened. It was recorded for us by those who witnessed it. And just remember, all historical knowledge is basically uh, just that, people that, that witnessed it or were close to those who witnessed it, at some point somebody recorded it and it has been passed on to us. And the historical documents that we have are the pages of the New Testament. The New Testament is, uh, among other things, it is a, a historical document. You know, I'm never afraid to encourage somebody to read the Bible. You know, people have all these ideas that, oh, the Bible's, you know, it's fairy tales and it's myths and it's all of that. And all you got to do is just read through the New Testament once and you realize, well, this is no fairy tale. Certainly not recorded like a fairy tale. You have times and places and dates and historical people and, and you know, all of that happening there. It is a historical record. And once again, I want to quote from Paul, the apostle. He said this in regard to the validity of the record. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 people at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So Paul says, I am an eyewitness. I saw, but not only did I see, you know, he just goes through this list. 500 people at once saw the resurrected Jesus. So these 
accounts are reliable. And as one man said, he said, either the men of Galilee were men of superlative wisdom and extensive knowledge and experience and of deeper skill in the arts of deception than any and all others before them or after them, or they have truly stated astonishing things which they saw and heard. I mean, if this didn't really happen, if this was a lie, it is the colossal lie of all history. There was an article uh, just a couple of days ago in the Wall Street Journal, and um, which, you know, you don't normally find articles on the resurrection in the Wall Street Journal, but I was happy to see that one and, and to read it was very favorable. And, but to, you know, kind of the, the, one of the opening sentences was, you know, how did this ragtag handful of people who were living on the fringes of civilization or on the fringes of the Roman Empire, how did these people change the world? How did they perpetuate this message? And, and basically, the writer just said, you know, unless there really was a resurrection, none of this makes any sense that this could have actually been perpetuated to this day. But again, the critics will say that the apostles fabricated the story. But as uh, Peter Kreeft, a philosophy professor at Boston College, said, uh, why would the apostles lie? Liars always lie for selfish reasons. If they lied, what was their motive? What did they get out of it? What they got out of it was misunderstanding, rejection, persecution, torture, martyrdom, hardly a list of perks, he says. Someone else said this, it is ludicrous to believe that the apostles willingly forfeited the comforts of life, their jobs and family, and their financial security, and instead accepted ridicule, persecution, imprisonment, torture, and in many cases, horrible deaths, all the while knowing that the resurrection was a fabrication. So, you know, for those who try to say that this is a myth, that this was made up, it just, that doesn't make sense. It takes more faith to believe that than to believe the actual accounts itself. So as we just look at that question, um, how do we know this is true? Well, we have the historical record. We have the eyewitness testimonies but we also have millions of personal encounters with the resurrected Christ resulting in transformed lives. And that is strong evidence that the resurrection really happened. You know, I disagree that there is no scientific proof for the validity of the Christian faith. Because science is based upon experimentation, tests, and things like that. There are millions upon millions upon millions of people from the time of Christ to this day that will give a testimony as to the transforming power of Christ in their lives. That, that's, that's pretty scientific if you ask me. And that, to me, is 
one of the undeniable proofs. And, and I have seen with my own eyes, not only experiencing it myself, uh, but I've seen with my own eyes how God has taken people and through their simple faith in Christ risen from the dead, it's completely changed them. Changed them so much so that you would not believe. I've had this experience many times. Maybe you have too. I've sat in conversations and talked with people. And in my mind, I've had you know, an assumption about them which was something along the lines that, you know, they were probably, you know, brought up with a Bible in their hand, you know, wonderful, godly, kind, loving people, and so forth. And, and then, you know, somehow you get into a, a conversation about their past, and you find out, oh, they were in prison for murder or something, and, you know, you're like, what? What? Wait, wait a second. That, that can't be you. It can't be possible. But... It's the power of the gospel. So, the resurrection really happened. We have numerous proofs for it. The resurrection also, though, confirms the claims of Christ. Now, Jesus made many extraordinary claims. He, he said things like this. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I mean, think about that. I am the light of the world. One one man says that. I'm the light of the whole world. That that is an extraordinary claim for sure. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus did not rise, then those claims would be meaningless. Meaningless. This, this is what C.S. Lewis was talking about when he uh, set forth this, this thing that he called the trilemma. The trilemma that, you know, in, in Lewis's day, it was big to uh, say about Jesus that, well, you know, no, he wasn't the son of God. No, he didn't rise from the dead, but, but he was a good man and he was a good teacher. That was, that was common. That was popular. In Lewis's day. And Lewis said, no, no, you can't say that. He said, here's your options. Jesus was either who he claimed to be. He was either the Lord or he was a liar or he was a lunatic. Or he even said he was something worse. He was a demon from hell. Now, of course, I'm sure in those days, people, when they heard Lewis say that, they probably shuddered. They thought, how, how could you say such a thing? But if you think about it, he's right. If someone went around today saying, I'm the bread of life. Hey, did you know that I am the light of the world? Have you heard yet that I am the resurrection and the life? We would, we would probably just say that person's nuts. We wouldn't even put him in the category of a liar, necessarily. We would dismiss them as a lunatic. Or we might say, well, you know, of course, they're a liar. So it leaves you really with just, uh, you know, some have said, well, no, there's another option. It could be that, that Jesus was just misguided. It could be that he really thought that these things were true. Well, then that would be a lunatic, if, if you really thought you were the bread of life, 
No matter how sincere you were, that would be crazy. So the only option, really, if you're honest, the only option is that he is the Lord. He is the Lord. And his resurrection, it it means that those other things are true. Yes, he is the bread of life. He's the one who satisfies the hungry soul. He is the light of the world. He helps us to see clearly in this dark world. He is the resurrection and the life. And his own resurrection proved that. Now, the resurrection, of course, there are um, obvious benefits to the resurrection. But I want to look just at three real quickly here. There are benefits that uh, pertain to the past, to the present, and also to the future. So for the past, what we have is the forgiveness of sins. So the resurrection tells me that my sins are forgiven because as Paul put it in Romans chapter 4, he said that, that Jesus was delivered up. He was crucified, in other words, for our offenses. Jesus died for us. He died in our place, as we know. But then Paul says this, and he was raised up for our justification. So the resurrection of Jesus is the proof to everyone that the sacrifice he offered to God was acceptable by God. You see, Jesus said, I'm going to give my flesh for the life of the world. I'm going to give my life in exchange for the life of the world. He basically communicated that he was going to offer himself up for sin. How do we know that that offering was accepted? We know it because God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection is the proof that the the offering atoned for our sin. So the resurrection gives forgiveness for the past, but it also provides us power for the present. You see, because, again, this, this, these aren't just historical events that, that happened and are detached from the present moment, but because Christ rose from the dead, For those who put their faith and trust in him, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Paul says, dwells in you. And and that spirit dwelling in us gives life, he said, to our mortal bodies. And what that means is that we have power over sin. And that's, that's what I was saying a few minutes ago about the uh, the transformed lives. What, what do we see in a person who's gone through this radical transformation? We see a person who was at one time dominated by sin, controlled by sin, bound by sin, and now they have victory over sin. And that's exactly what we have. But we also have, thirdly and finally, we have hope for the future. And like I said in the beginning, what hope would there be if Jesus had not come into the world. 
What hope would there be? You know, I mentioned Lawrence Krauss earlier, this uh, atheist. And you know, the atheists are good at mocking the idea of God, but they're also good at talking about, in, you know, how all of these injustices are so horrible and how people should live a certain way and all of that. They're a bundle of contradictions, really, most of the time. But, but one of the things that... One, one of the uh, atheistic dilemmas is this. Where do you even get any of these ideas that there, that there should be altruism, that there should be any kind of kindness? or where do, where do you get this stuff? You know where they get it? They stole it from Christianity. They borrowed it because <laughs> they don't have it in their worldview. It doesn't exist. It's not even there. And so, like I said, what, what hope would there be if you extracted Jesus from the world? What hope would there be? There would be no hope. But for us, as Peter so beautifully reminded us, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, or who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. What is the hope for the future? The hope for the future is just what Peter described here, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. It's as Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. And so you think about this, this hope for the future. This hope for the future is that it, not only are we going to be raised up to this inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, but all of those that have preceded us, all of those that we love, all of those that were taken from us through death, all those who trusted in Christ, we have that confidence that we will be reunited with them. There will be a great and glorious reunion the message of the resurrection in closing is it's universal, meaning it's for everybody. There's not a single person in the world today that this message is not for and applicable to. No one. The message is for everyone. Everyone is dead in sin. Everyone is under a... a, a sentence of eternal confinement in separation from God because of their sin. And this message is for every single person. This is the message of, of liberation from that captivity. So it's a universal message. It's for all people. But it's also a personal message. You see, it must be received individually. It's a message for all people, but every person must receive it individually and personally. You can't inherit Christianity in the ultimate sense 
from your parents or from your spouse or, you know, it's not passed on through genetics. It comes by personally trusting in the Lord Jesus because ultimately the message is a person. The message is a person. It's not simply a message. It is a person. That person is Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again so that we too might live. Now, during our regular services this morning, I'm going to have a different message that you really want to hear. <laughs> and it's based on this text that I will close with. Jesus said this. He's the only one who ever did. He's the only one who ever could say this. But listen, he said, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Isn't that wonderful? I am alive forevermore. And, and he said it to his disciples. He said, because I live, you shall live. So Jesus did all of this. Jesus, of course, is God the Son. Jesus is eternal. Jesus was not subject to death. But he subjected himself to death by becoming a person, by becoming a human being. That's the only way he could die. But that's exactly why he became a person, so he could die and rise again, so he could say, because I live you shall live also. And so for every one of us, it comes down to this one simple thing. Have you received him? Have you received this person, this living savior, Jesus? The one who that morning there in the garden, outside the tomb, said, Mary, and she said, Rabboni. He was alive. She connected with him. He is alive today. Connect with him. He's calling your name. Respond back to him. Rabboni means my master. And when Jesus becomes your master, or the more common word, your Lord, then that life that he gives will be your life as well. So, Lord, we thank you that you came into the world for the express purpose of dying so you could defeat death and you rose again from the dead. Lord, we thank you that these are facts of history. They're not myths that we have dreamed up. We thank you that this is true, and we celebrate that life together today. And Lord, I would just pray if there's anyone that's joined us this morning that is yet to meet you and to have this living hope imparted to them, this life-transforming power, 
this confidence and certainty that because you live, they shall live also. Lord, open their hearts that they might receive the life that you came to give, that they might receive it on this day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.